Hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Uh, so good to see you guys this morning. Actually, I wish I could see you this morning. I can't. I'm looking at a camera lens. But I hope that you're doing well this morning. Really excited to be jumping into God's Word with you again. If you're new with us at Grace Hill, first time tuning in, my name is Alan, one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. And today I have the privilege of being able to share from uh, the scriptures. And we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Luke. And we're going to be studying in Luke chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, go ahead, get that uh, ready to go as we study it here in just a few minutes. But to get us started, I want to introduce to you Jeremy and Veronica. They are going to read our scripture for us this morning and open us in prayer. Good morning, Grace Hill. I'm Veronica Hayes. And I'm Jeremy Burgess. And today we are reading from the English Standard Version, Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this message that you've given to us this morning and that you've put on our hearts. Uh, thank you for sending your son not only to die for our sins, but also to be the ultimate example for us, um, to show how to love like you would love, and to show how we should forgive as we're forgiven. God, thank you for that example, and I pray that as we go throughout our day and throughout our week, that we will be reminded of that and that we will practice that and show others the love that you have shown us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We love you, Grace Hill. We miss you. Hey, Veronica, uh, thank you so much for opening us in prayer and reading our scripture for us this morning. And excited to see what the Lord has for us this morning. So here's what I want to do. I want to begin this morning with a really simple question, okay? And this is a question 
that I want you to consider, think about whether you believe in Jesus or whether maybe you're not sure if you believe in Jesus or not, okay? Here it is. How would you describe someone who is mature in their faith, right? How would you describe someone who seems as if they are extremely devout in their faith, you know, so a a devout Christian or a devout Catholic or a devout Jew or Muslim, somebody, like how would you describe that person, right? I I think many of us would, would automatically assume that such a person would have a lot of religious knowledge, all right, that, that there's someone that's very learned when it comes to the Bible or some other religious text, right? They can explain and teach deep, complex theological topics, right? They, they are someone who knows a lot about what they believe. Or I think maybe some of us would say that this is a person that practices a lot of spiritual disciplines, Right, that they pray a lot and they obviously read scripture a lot and they go to church a lot. And maybe that's what you would say is is someone who is devout in their faith is someone who engages in church a lot. Uh, they are always at the church events. They're always serving at the church, leading in the church. If the church has something going on, they are there. All right, that could be another way that we would describe that. You know, uh, sadly, in the church, we tend to look at the outward appearance of someone or a group of people, and, and we group them into these categories in the church as, as those who are maybe more mature in their faith, more serious about their faith, and those who are maybe less mature in their faith. And so it's really easy for us even to condemn ourselves as someone who's not devout or mature in our faith, because we look around the church and we compare ourselves to other people in the church, right? I mean, look how much that guy knows about the Bible and look how much that, look how good that person prays out loud. And man, that person loves serving in Grace Hill Kids. It's a, it's a struggle for me, man. That person's been walking with Jesus for a long time. I've only been walking with Jesus for just a little bit. And unfortunately, the church can easily become a place where it's easy to have imposter syndrome, right? Have you ever felt that before, imposter syndrome, the the feeling where you look at someone and they seem to belong here, right? That person, they've got it all together, but I look at myself and I don't think I belong here. I feel like an imposter, Well, this morning, we are going to read a story about Jesus, and I think Jesus is going to help us think better about this question. Uh, In this story that we're going to read, we're going to read about two different people that Jesus encounters. One person is a religious leader, someone who knows a lot about the Jewish faith. They have memorized huge sections, if not all, of the Jewish scriptures for them at the time, the Torah. All right. This person is a Pharisee. And in society, this is clearly the person who would be defined as religiously mature or devout. They belong in the synagogue. All right. The other person in this story is someone that 
most people would not even allow to be in the conversation when it comes to who is mature in their faith or devoted in their faith. And they would certainly be seen as an imposter because the other person in this story is most likely a prostitute. And Jesus is going to encounter both of these people, a Pharisee and a prostitute, and they are going to have a conversation about what it really means to be someone who is devoted to the God of the Bible. And we are going to see Jesus reveal who actually is the one that is truly devoted and who is actually the imposter. All right. So we already read it. Thank you, Jeremy and Veronica. I'd like for us to read it one more time. So Luke chapter seven, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. We're going to read verses 36 to 50. Luke chapter seven. 36 to 50. Let's read this together, okay? Says this, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, all right, most likely a prostitute, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Ointment's probably not a good translation here. It's more like perfume. Think very, very expensive perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, Jesus' feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed his, uh, anointed them with the ointment or the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he's not saying this out loud. He's just thinking this in his head. If this man, Jesus, were actually a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. And she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, that's the Pharisee's name. I have something to say to you. And the Pharisee answered, all right, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment, perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little... Loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, 
Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So in this story, a Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus to his house for dinner. Now, at first you might think, oh, that's a that's a really kind gesture. I know that Jesus and the Pharisees never really saw eye to eye. All right, so so okay, the Pharisees extending out an olive branch. Let's have dinner. Let's talk our differences out. But we learn in the story that I don't think that was the motive of the Pharisee. See, in the day, in this particular day, there were different customs that you would follow as a way of showing hospitality to your guest. Things like giving them water to wash their feet. It's a very dusty environment. They walk in sandals. They want to wash their feet off. Or greeting your guests with a kiss on each cheek. There are a lot of cultures where that is an appropriate way to greet someone. Or give them some oil to freshen up their hair and their face. Again, very dusty environment. And so it was a way of freshening up before you would have dinner. And we learn in this story that Simon does not extend any of these hospitable gestures to Jesus. So if you're trying to understand the emotional temperature of this dinner party, I think it's probably pretty tense. Okay. Jesus was not being treated as an honored guest and the Pharisee had him over for dinner, probably for the purpose of questioning Jesus and seeing if he could trap Jesus into saying something that would allow this Pharisee to expose Jesus for the fraud that he thought he was. So in the middle of this, I'm guessing awkward dinner, but we don't know for sure. But in the middle of this dinner, this woman, probably a woman known for being a prostitute in the city, barges into the house and begins to weep at the feet of Jesus. Now, back during this time, when, when people had dinner, we read it right here, they would recline at the table. So their, their elbow would be resting on a cushion on the floor. Their face would be facing the table. They would eat with their other hand, and their feet would be behind them, reclined away from the table, okay? So it wasn't like this woman came and climbed under the table. She was on the periphery of this dinner party, weeping at Jesus' feet. Now, before we think to ourselves, hmm, this seems like an odd thing to do. You know, before we have these images in our head of this woman you know, maybe she's overly emotional. Maybe she, you know, wiping her Jesus' feet with her hair. And what's going on here? Before we go there, this story for me this week, on, on this particular week, uh, strikes me differently. I've, I've always read this story and I've felt a disconnect from this woman who worshiped Jesus in this particular way. Um, but this week, you know, I, I spent a good part of my week and pretty much my entire weekend um, helping a precious young woman get herself into treatment so she could get clean. And one of the things about getting clean, especially from long-term drug addiction, is that you have to come to the realization that you're stuck. And that there's no getting unstuck without radical action on your part and others. 
And it's an utterly helpless feeling when you are stuck in a lifestyle and you know that you can't get out of it. You don't know how to get out of it. And you've got no one who's going to help you. And this past Friday night at midnight of this week, this person was willing to take radical action. And so we, we, we got in the car and we got her to, to treatment. But the woman in this story, this precious woman heard that this man, Jesus, was God and that this man, Jesus, could make you clean. And she was ready. And so she took radical action and she barged into that Pharisee's house, dismissed all decorum and custom, and she fell at the feet of Jesus. And this Pharisee, Simon, looked upon this scene and disgust filled his heart. He was disgusted that this dirty woman would defile his house. But I think he was even more disgusted by Jesus' reaction to this woman. Now, the text does not tell us how Jesus immediately reacted in his body language or in his facial expression when this woman fell at his feet. But whatever Jesus did, it caused Simon to quietly judge Jesus. Look at what he said in verse 39. It says, the Pharisee who invited him saw this and said to himself, thought in his heart, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. For she's a sinner. The implication here is that if Jesus, if if he were really a representative of God, then he would respond to this woman like God would respond to this woman. Disgust, unclean, rejection, imposter. my guess is that when this woman fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus' facial expression and his body language communicated nothing but empathy and compassion and acceptance. And because Jesus is God, he knew what Simon was thinking. And Jesus responds with gentleness and teaching like he always does, even to Simon. So he tells Simon this parable about two different people who were in debt. One with a lot of debt, one with a little bit of debt. Neither of them could pay it, so the lender forgives their debts. All right? Now, who is going to be more grateful? That's the question. And the answer seems obvious. Even the Pharisee, Simon, thought it was obvious. Okay, fine, Jesus, if we're going to play your game, the one with the greater debt is the one who will love more and be more grateful. But Jesus' actual point in this parable is not that different people have varying levels of sin and debt before God, right? That, that this Pharisee had less debt, right? He's represented by the one with less debt. And, and this woman, she's represented by the one with more debt. And, and so therefore, the response of the Pharisee to Jesus is understandable. No, 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 that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is not about how our debt compares to others. Jesus' point is our own willingness to accept the reality of our own debt of sin before God. 
right? The one who views him or herself as someone who is mature, devout, not as bad as those people, they are going to have a particular kind of response to Jesus. And the one who views him or herself as someone who is an imposter, Because they know the depths of their sin. They know their need for forgiveness. And they know that they're stuck without someone to rescue them. They are going to have a different kind of response to Jesus. And so the question that I opened with this morning was this. How would you describe someone who is mature or devout in their faith? And I believe that Jesus asks a similar question of the Pharisee in verse 44. Because after Jesus tells this parable to Simon, all the while this woman is still at Jesus' feet, weeping and anointing his feet. When Jesus is done with the parable, he looks to Simon and he asks this question. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman as I see this woman, Simon? Do you see someone who's dirty? Someone who disgusts you? Someone who makes you uncomfortable? Someone you would be disappointed if they were admitted into the kingdom of God? Someone whom you think should have taken more individual responsibility with their life? Let's talk about religious maturity and decorum, Simon. Let's talk about the scriptures that you have memorized, Simon. They all culminate to this one question right here. Do you see her? Simon, I need to know. Because if you understand the scriptures and you understand the God of the Bible, and if you are as mature and devout as you think you are, I have a question. Do you see her? And Jesus says, because I, the son of God, the one of whom all things were created, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one with the power to forgive sins, Simon, I see her. And my attention and my heart is focused on her, Simon. See, in the kingdom of God, Maturity, devotion, and wisdom is measured in the shape of a cross, right? The degree to which you're willing to receive the love of God vertically will determine the degree to which we're willing to give it horizontally to others. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching Simon in our text today. The more you receive forgiveness, the more you love, the more you, re- you the less you receive forgiveness, the less that you are going to love others. And Jesus in this moment looks to this woman, this prostitute who has fallen at the feet of Jesus for forgiveness. And he looks to this Pharisee who has lived a life of religious decorum. And he says, Simon, you have much to learn from this woman. See, Christian maturity is not measured by your Bible knowledge, your church participation, nor how clean your mouth is. Christian maturity is all about this. Do you love people the way Jesus has loved you? 
And you cannot love people in this way if you are unaware of your own need for this kind of radical love and forgiveness from Jesus. Right, so let's talk about the mature one and the imposter in the kingdom of God again, according to our text this morning. The mature one identifies more with the prostitute weeping at Jesus' feet than the Pharisee who devoted his entire life to religious life. Can, Can I say that again? In our text, the mature one identifies more in their soul. They identify more with the prostitute weeping at the feet of Jesus than the Pharisee who has devoted his entire life to a religious decorum. And I know that's a radical thing to say. Because in the church, we can fall into the same fallacy that Simon fell into, where we measure maturity based on your ability to keep religious decorum than the actual condition of your heart. You know, for the first four years of being in full-time ministry, a long time ago, I was in a college ministry. And one of the things about college ministry that I loved is that I spent a lot of time with college students who were brand new believers in Jesus, right? And they had zero experience with the church growing up or religion or any of that, right? So this was all brand new to them. And the reason that I love discipling these students is because they weren't conditioned by a religious upbringing to hide their sin, to suppress their true feelings and emotions in the name of religious decorum. They were just rough around the edges, new Christians who were learning. And because of this, they were so humble and they didn't try to hide a thing. And they were real. They were quite aware of how much they needed the forgiveness of Jesus. And that fueled a passionate faith that not only expressed itself vertically through worship, but also horizontally in their love and compassion for others. And so Jesus looks to this woman who has come to Jesus for forgiveness and he holds her up and says, this is what it means to have a devout faith. But unfortunately, how easy is it to be like this Pharisee in the church? It's tempting where we're, we're not attuned to the depths of our own sin and our need for forgiveness and where we look at religious decorum to measure Christian maturity and where we lack compassion for those who are rough around the edges. And Jesus is trying to help Simon understand that this religious pride has gotten in the way of him truly receiving the love of God. And it's therefore also gotten in the way of him being able to love others in the same way. Again, Christian maturity is measured by loving people the way Jesus loves us. And here's the reality. When we measure Christian maturity through things like religious decorum, what we end up doing inside the church is we end up not being able, we end up not being a place where our shame is eliminated but rather we become a place where our shame is perpetuated, right? Like, like think about this. The, the house of that Pharisee 
was not a place where the grace of God was ministered and people could find an answer for their shame. The shameful weren't welcome there. But the feet of Jesus was a place where the shameful were welcomed. And I promise you, think about this for a second. After that woman's experience with Jesus, she and her dinner table, those were some safe places for people to take their shame and encounter the grace of God. And when we are not willing to see ourselves as people who need massive amounts of grace and forgiveness, when we are not willing to see ourselves as the woman in this story, then we will not be a safe place where people can take their shame and find the grace of God. Our church will not be a safe place where people can take their shame and find the grace of God. See, when we feel like we have to hide our own shame and our own sin and our own dark secrets and keep up a certain appearance, and we don't allow God and we don't allow his people to minister forgiveness and grace to us, then in an effort to protect ourselves, we actually end up shaming others, right? It's only through insecurity in trying to conceal our own shame where we scoff at other people in their shame and we judge other people in their shame and we make them feel unwelcome. That only happens when we're trying to hide stuff ourselves. And when the church becomes a place where we silently are comparing ourselves to others, we become a place where shame runs rampant. But when we allow God to deal with our shame, when we confess our sin to others, when we accept the reality that we need forgiveness, when we see that, man, true maturity is, is, is following the example of this woman and not that of the Pharisee, when we accept the vertical love of God, then we become someone who can now minister the love of God horizontally to others. And we become someone who doesn't perpetuate shame in others, but helps to eliminate it. Like Grace Hill, this is the vision for our church. This is who we want to be. We're not seeking to build a church of a bunch of people who follow the rules of religious decorum where everyone is silently comparing themselves to others. Everything is buttoned up. It looks nice and tidy and where it's weird and uncomfortable when someone shares their shame. That's not what we're trying to build. Oh, I pray God shut our church down if that's what we are or what we ever become. But no, we are seeking to build a church where we go after one another's shame, where there's no story, no past, no sin, no person that is too heavy for us not to minister the grace and the love of God. A church where it's safe to share your shame and no one will leave you reject you or think to themselves who is this person what makes them think they can come in here right a church full of people who have safe dinner tables where you will be loved in the same way that Jesus loved this woman in Luke 7 Jesus asked Simon the question in verse 44 do you see 
her. And church, that's my question today for all of us. Do we see one another and do we see our neighbors as Jesus sees them? That's a simple question. Oh, but it's probing. And we need to answer it honestly. Do we see one another? And do we see our neighbors like Jesus saw this woman? If a, um, if a single drug-addicted mother who has known nothing in her life but abandonment, who doesn't trust anyone, and she's hardened, if she enters the doors of our church, do we see someone who makes us uncomfortable? Do we see someone who's going to inconvenience us or disrupt our lives because she needs help? Or do we see someone who Jesus adores? Someone that Jesus has called us to give our lives to help him. If a gay couple walked into the doors of our church, do we see people who make us uncomfortable? Do we see people who live a lifestyle that we don't approve of? Or do we see people who Jesus adores? has called us to welcome with open arms. If an undocumented immigrant who who doesn't speak our language, who's struggling with poverty, maybe they don't have clean clothes on, walks into the doors of our church, do we see someone who's worthy of our friendship and a place at our dinner table back at home? Or do we see someone that Jesus absolutely adores? When that person that you've been in conflict with enters the doors of the church. Do you see someone who deserves the silent treatment? Or someone who Jesus gave his life for even when they sinned against him. Someone that is worth laying your life down for. Or what about that person that just rubs you the wrong way? You know, your personalities clash and they annoy you. You They're not, they're not your favorite person in the world, right? So do you just see someone you don't click with that? It's okay if we don't, if we're not friends or do you see someone that has all the kinds of shame inside and a silent scoff by you or or you just ignoring them perpetuates that shame. And it actually turns into not a very safe place for them to be because they feel for some reason, I don't feel like here, I'm loved the way Jesus loves. Do you realize, we all need to know this, that we all need to think about this. Do we realize that that we can change that now for people who are feeling shame and they're feeling unwelcome and they're feeling not accepted and they're feeling like they have to hide a whole bunch of stuff if they're ever going to darken a door of a church? That we can change it right now for them by looking at them, seeing them, moving towards them, loving them like Jesus loved us. And if we ever believe that we somehow earned that from Jesus or that we somehow were worthy of that from Jesus and other people, they need to earn kind of that love from us, then we just don't understand the gospel. 
Like the Pharisee who could memorize this book, we missed it. Church, Jesus has called upon us to love others the way he has loved us. To be a place where we eliminate shame and not perpetuate it. Right? That is the mark of maturity. That is the mark of devotion. And my prayer for Grace Hill is that we will be filled with people who are willing to lay their lives down, lay their bank accounts down, lay their plans down, lay their conveniences down in order to love people in this way. That we would be a church filled with people with safe dinner tables because we all have shame and we all need the grace and forgiveness of God. That's my prayer for us. And as the pastor of the church, I just want to say that I I am so grateful that when I think upon our church, that that I think that, that we are a safe place to share shame, to eliminate shame, where people are welcome. But I just want you to know that the stream of our sin, the stream of our culture and our society, it's always going to push us towards being a place where we button up, we close up. We don't go after people. We silently judge people. We get too comfortable and we don't want anyone to mess with that comfort to become a church where all we're about is let's put on the religious programs that, that, take care of my needs and take care of my family's needs. And, and we can be kind of happy Christians and never have to get our hands dirty in our community, loving people the way Jesus loves. But that is not the way of Jesus. And that's not where our church is going. It's not where our church is going. We will be a church that loves people, even the hardest to love, even the most dangerous to love. We will love them the way Jesus loves us. And so I'm going to pray for us right now. Um, But what I want to do is after I pray, I, I, I want us to go into our Zoom discussion groups. I know normally we do it in the middle of the sermon. Today, I just thought it'd be best to do it after. And so I want you to go into your Zoom breakout groups. And here's the question that I want you to discuss. And that's just this, very simple. What do you need to do? in response to today's message? That's the question. What what action do you need to take? Right? Maybe you need to seek the forgiveness of someone where you've perpetuated their shame and you've judged them silently in your heart. Or maybe there is someone in your life and you need to start going after them. Maybe they need help. Maybe they have a lot of shame and they need someone who will just love them and be curious about that. Maybe it's time for you to receive the love of God through Jesus. What is your response today? What do you need to do? And so I'm going to put you in your Zoom groups, spend a few minutes discussing that question together. And if you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube, uh, what I invite you to do, we're going to take a break. We're going to put the question on the screen for you. And I invite you to, if you're by yourself, just to meditate on that question yourself. Pray through that question yourself. And if you uh, uh, need help with that, if you want to talk about this question later on, Go to our website, fill out a connect form, and we'd love to connect with you. And we hope that maybe next week you'll join us uh, on Zoom as well. So what I encourage you to do is just think and pray through this wherever you're at, however you are tuning in. What do you need to do 
in response to today's message. And then when the Zoom breakouts are over, um, we're going to close our time in some worship. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll put you in your groups. God, my prayer is so simple uh, and short this morning, and that's this. Would you give us the heart of Jesus? God, would you give each of us the eyes and the heart and the compassion to see people the way that you saw that woman and to love people the way that you love them? God, I pray that you would Make that our instinct, our automatic reaction. Renew our minds, change our hearts to help us to be more like Jesus. We love you, God, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.